Welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast. How dare Draco Malfoy tell Martin Bundle to go away? Lewis has stitched me right up here. He's supposed to be my mate. Midway through the flight, they suddenly decide that they want to put me in the overhead locker in the plane. Everybody in the Bears team found all these mouldy pears in the bottom of their bag. Felt his hand on me. And I looked back and he said, we're going to get this picture, champ. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the TWS Podcast. It's lights out and away we go. Hello, my name is Simon Lazeby and I'm a presenter on Sky Sports. You may have seen me present sports such as the F1, international rugby, England cricket and golf from around the world. However, I wanted to come and give you some information about the TWS Sports Podcast. The TWS Sports Podcast is the only podcast in the UK which is hosted by autistic students who interview some of the biggest names in sport. Each week, they speak to a different sports person and delve deep into their lives talking about the highs and the lows of their career and what makes them a top athlete in their sport. The TWS Sports Podcast were voted the best sports podcast in the world that promotes social equality. They picked up that honour at the 2021 Sports Podcast Awards. So if you're a sports fan and want to hear these great stories with questions from some amazing young people who promote autism, then the TWS Sports Podcast is the podcast for you. Technowood School is a school for autistic children and young adults and we have set this podcast up to provide our pupils with a fantastic opportunity to develop a range of skills whilst interviewing top sportsmen and women from a variety of different sports. Joining us today on the TWS Sports Podcast is a former professional rugby player. He has played for teams such as Neath, Cardiff, Widnes and Wales. Welcome to the podcast, Jonathan Davis. Thank you both. Hope you well. Before we start, we just wanted to say that if throughout this podcast, if you have any questions for us about anything about our podcast or you have a question about autism, then please ask. We like to answer your questions too. Okay, that's fine. All right. We're going to try and say some stuff in Welsh. Well, at least one sentence in Welsh. I've never done Welsh before, so please bear with me. Okay, that's fine. I'm going first. Sut oite. Did I say that right? Yes, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. And I go, Sutty T, how are you? I'm great, thank you. (laughs) There we are. Well done, Nisha. And then mine is, Roin Hapis E Sharadaki. Jochen Vaur, so thank you very much. You're happy to speak to me, so thank you very much, Thomas. Thank you. Good efforts, a pair of you. Well done. We like to start our podcast with some random questions before we start talking about your career. Are you ready? Ready. Who is the most famous person in your phone book? I think it's uh, I think it's uh, Tom Jones. If you could trade lives with anyone for a day, who would it be and why? Oh, that's a tough one, Alice. Yeah, I think I think I'd like to. I've always want as a sportsman, like running the hundred meters, so maybe. You know, changing with uh, Usain Bolt when he won the 100 metres in the Olympics, maybe. Okay. If you could have any superpower, what would you have and why? Oh, just simple. to Because uh, I'm very involved with a cancer charity. I would I would use a superpower just to, to heal, heal people from any sickness. Thank you for answering those questions. Let's chat about your career. Your nickname is Jiffy. Where does that nickname come from? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I came, it came from uh, Australia. I, I came, it came from, I was playing for Neath. 
And um, I just turned up, and I think there was a, a guy called Jonathan Griffiths, and his nickname was Jiffy, but uh, it was like sliding doors. He was leaving and I was coming in. So the forwards, in their wisdom, decided that uh, I would become Jiffy rather than him. So it, it was that simple, really. Nothing exciting. <laughs> we want to take you back to the beginning and talk about your childhood. What are your memories of growing up, and did you always want to be a rugby player? Uh, no, just a very, very happy childhood, you know, in a little uh, village in West Wales. Just normal, um, going to school, uh, you know, just enjoying family life, um, playing a lot of sport after, after, during school and after school. So, um, yeah, childhood was, um, you know, quite a, a happy environment. Uh, unfortunately, until my dad got ill then, and things kind of changed once my dad went ill. But, uh, yeah, always I'm very proud of the fact I came from a little village called Trumsaran. Uh, my mum still lives there, um, so I, I go back there quite often. Nothing, Not many things have changed. So, um, yeah, I'm just very proud to be a, a Trumsaran boy. You had a trial at Lean... another. That's another bit of Welsh for you, look. But sadly, didn't get the chance to play for them, them at the time. And you joined Neth. Neath. 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 Yeah. What are your memories of that time? Um, I think it's always, um, you know, you strive. Anybody strives to be the best that they possibly can in, you know, in in any environment that they, uh, you know, they're in. And um, you know, I always, I was very. I didn't play for any uh, schools or youth size Welsh sides. I think I had a couple of years, which I which I want, which I wanted. Um, so you just kept on, you know, applying yourself and working hard and hoping that the opportunity would come. And it didn't come in in Snethly. And then, uh, luckily, it was um, a very good friend of mine uh, was a great rugby player, Phil Bennett. He introduced me to Nice, and uh, I was I'm forever thankful to better to Phil, who sadly passed away this year. Um, and there or last year, sorry, and you know, forever thankful to, to Nice for giving me the opportunity. So, yeah, I went there. Um, no idea what was going to happen. I'd never been to Nice, I've never played with or trained with any of the players. Um, they, they gave me a chance, and uh, you know, it, it, it went well, and I stayed there then. Can you talk to us about what rugby was like in the 80s? What was the culture like? What was Bless you? <laughs> Thank you. I'm sorry. What? I'm so sorry. <laughs> what was the game like back then? Um. Well, it wasn't as structured as it is now. Uh, it wasn't professional. You know, we were amateurs, so we only trained Tuesday, Thursday, played on a Saturday. Uh, we didn't have a lot of time together, so we basically um, kind of worked on plays and set piece scrums and liners and all that and then we played it off the cuff really um that was the same with an international level as well uh, but i do think it's it was more fluent in them days and there was a, a bit more football because defenses are kind of you know really on top now and they seem very very structured so yeah i enjoy i really enjoy the times that i played in it was a free-flowing um, it was a little bit dirtier than they are now because we didn't have so many cameras and TMOs and um, independent uh, lines linesmen. So, yeah, there was a, a bit of skullduggery going around, but it was just part of the game. 
thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, you left Neve to join see if you put your tongue right on the top of your mouth and go that's Sanethi simple as, as if you've got a heavy cold okay look as soon as if you've got a heavy cold <laughs> right you left need to join oh boy that's good enough close enough is, is it true you received a letter in the post for from some of your former teammates from Neef. Yes, it was a cup final, big cup final in the Cardiff Arms Park. There was a world record club uh, crowd at the time, and um, in those days, you didn't have um, Instagram or social media or Twitter, or um, so we just had letters or uh, telegrams from you know best wishes to play, and then it was a big card. And I opened it up, and there was a photo of me with a, um, a rope around my neck, rest in peace, and signed by all the well, the majority of the neat players. Oh. So it was. I think it wasn't very nice, but uh, I. Um, that threat to me. I I know it's like well, it was you know they, they thought it was a joke, but I didn't think it was that funny at the time. Which but but at the time, but then I looked at it, and a couple of my teammates saw my reaction. And then from that reaction, they knew we weren't going to lose that game because that gave me a lot of motivation to beat them, mm-hmm. which we did. You made your debut for Wales at Cardiff Arms Park against England. What are your memories of your debut? I just, uh, I think it's the level of fulfilment. I think that's and the, and the pride of playing for your country, having never played, you know, for for. Always at any level, it, it it meant a lot to me, and it let because my father passed away, uh, and I know he wanted me to play for Wales. So um, you know, to to realise kind of an ambition, a dream come true, was um, you know was very fulfilling. And just remember, the game went very very quickly. The crowd and the atmosphere and the noise, and then the you know celebrations after. I still think it's um, I think I still think it's my proudest moment. You played in the first ever New Cup, World Cup in New Zealand. Is it right that you warmed up for the World Cup by doing the 10 by 10K? That's right. That's, that's, a, that was it. that's a sort of 10 kilometer marathon. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a 10K run, and uh, I think we went down there. Um, we, we didn't really know what was happening you know, with the World Cup. It was new to everyone, and uh, you know, as I said, we were our amateur. So we went, uh, and we just went down to Tembe to do a little bit of training. Or they do all, they go to Portugal and uh, Poland, and it's very high, high um, intensity kind of program now for pre World Cups. Uh, but ours was a bit laid back, and uh, yeah, I think we just joined in all the all the other runners in the ten k, ten k run in in Tembe. So uh, just to join in and and celebrate the Tembe k. 10k, which was, which is quite funny, really, because you know, run, running a 10k has not much to do with playing rugby. Oh, what are your memories of that World Cup? Uh, again, um, just it was all new. Um, you know, we went all the way to Wellington in New Zealand, and we played against Ireland. Um, then we played against uh, England in Brisbane in the quarterfinal. Uh, yeah, it was just a great experience to be involved in, and looking back to see how it's uh, how it's grown. You know, in um, participation, spectators, 
um, commercially. It's just you know it's 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 gone massive. So to be a part of that was uh, you know it was very enjoyable and um, you know historic, I suppose. But New Zealand were they they geared up ex- extremely well for it, and and it was all geared up for an Australian. Uh, New Zealand final, but France put a kibosh on that because uh, they beat they beat Australia. But yeah, it was um, it was it was a great event, um, you know, a very new event, um, which is I've 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 kind of worked on it and done a few, a few cup final, World Cup finals, and um, you know it's been a it's been a delight to see how it, how the, the rugby World Cup has grown. So let me just take it back a bit, bit to the ten k thing. Whose idea was it? <laughs> uh, we've, no, we've no idea, really. I don't know whose idea it was. I, I just think because um, we were down there, and you know what it's like when, um, you know, when sides like, you know, say your Man United or your Manchester Cities or Liverpools, you know, if they go somewhere, you know, the attention that they get is is great and they want to do something and give something back to the community. So I think it was one of our coaches' ideas to, to give something back to the community and uh, and run with uh, with all the runners of the of the local area of Tenby. So it was okay. It wasn't too bad. I think we were fit in those days and I think it was a little bit of a social event. So it was it was good to run the alcohol off anyway. <laughs> I take it you wouldn't last long if you tried to run it now. No, I don't think I'd try and run it now. I think I, don't, I think my knees are gone. My, one, of my, one of my knees is not the, as it was before. So I, I haven't run for a long, long time now. I've, I, I like to bike, bike rides for charity. But my running days are, are far behind me, the pair of you, let me tell you. Hmm. One, thing that you, one thing you didn't do in your career was wear the British Lion <laughs> shirt. Looking back, is that something you wish you had done, you had the opportunity to do? Yeah, in hindsight, you know, it's um, something that I would have liked to have on my, uh, you know, my playing CV, especially in '89 when they when they uh, won, they they beat Australia, um, and yeah, it would have, it would have been it would have been nice. But I, I'm one of these persons that once I made a decision, it's pointless looking back on it, and I've got to, you know, I've got to try and achieve what I what is possible in an, in a new environment in rugby league. So. It was, you know, looking back, I, I would love to have played for the British Lions. The British Lions, for me, is a is a great tradition. It's a it's it's a great team. It kind of brings all the British Lions together. I used to watch it when I was a young kid. You know, the first one I watched was nineteen seventy one, then seventy four, seventy uh, seven, with a lot of Welsh involvement. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, I think in hindsight, um, I would have loved to have played for the Lions. It's not a regret because, as I said, once I made a decision, I had to focus on what was in my control, not you know, not what I'd, I'd left behind. So, if I had dwelled on it, I might not have been um, you know as successful in league as I would have been. But yes, it's um, it's one of the jerseys that I would love to have represented because I, I I do love what it represents. And there's always questions about should it continue. And I think as a non-lion, which I think has more um, power. I think that the lion should always, always be uh, be a great side and um, keep the tradition and go on tours. You played rugby in the amateur era. What jobs did you have at the time whilst being a rugby player, and how did your job impact your career, or did your job ever get in the way of you playing rugby? I think it's um, it's it's 
uh, twofold really. Um, I played as uh, I left school as once my father passed away. I left school quite early, so I became a painter and decorator. Not not the very good one. Um, yeah. And I then I went. Uh, yeah. I, I know. I know. Yes. No. No. I don't like that anymore. So uh, I was like the gof, uh, the youngest. I tried to go and do everything, do the the horrible jobs, you know. So. Uh, but I, you know, it's good for it's good for character building. You know, it's an introduction to the world. Um, but then I changed jobs. I went to a contracts manager, um, and then I um, I was a um, I worked in the open cast, which is like um, you dig for coal from the above from the ground down. So, and that, and that I had to um, that was a long because I worked six till six, six in the morning to six at night, and then go training, um, and then work and then work 6 till 12 on a Saturday and then go and play rugby. So that was impacting my rugby. But I was very lucky. I met, I had two great mentors. Uh, one was Neil O'Halloran, who was a prof- ex-professional footballer. And then another one was Brian Thomas, which he was um, head of um, Valindra Steelworks. So they understood what was needed for me to reach my potential. So they allowed me to train during the day. So I was very lucky and grateful to meet those two. But uh, yeah, it is, you know, it is. But it's it's uh, an environment you want to play in because, you know, I played for Wales on a Saturday, then I played against Pontypool on a Monday night for the, for my club because I wanted to play. And although we weren't being paid for it, you know, you had kind of a bond as a gang of players. So um, I was very lucky that I I very very good employers later on. Gerard Davis, you know, financial advice. I did a bit of financial advising, and even when when I went to rugby league. I worked as a salesman up in uh, up in the northwest. As a, I sold three coated chippings, which stops you slipping on the on the motorways. And then um, industrial fabrication. I I used to go to Sellafield, a nuclear plant on a, on the odd occasion as well. So I kept it real. I think the keep working kept me real because I've always thought that rugby was my hobby. In 1989, you decided to leave Rugby Union to play Rugby League. Why did you decide to make that change? Uh, again, that was, um, you know, two, twofold, really. One was um, when we went to New Zealand, I think that they were kind of like semi-professionals. They weren't paid for playing, but they were looked after. Sponsorship, you know, allowed to train, facilities, you know, nutrition. So the only thing they had to worry about was playing. Oops, I know my earphones dropped out. Was playing so, and I don't think we had the same level playing field as as New Zealand. And I I felt that we would never reach our potential and um, and be competitive on the international stage. Um, you know when this was happening, and then the rugby league came in and they offered me um, a contract uh, for my skills, which would kind of set my give my family security, I suppose. Uh, so those really were the two reasons that I that I left. Um, I didn't want I didn't want to leave. I was enjoying my rugby. I was in, really really enjoying playing for Snethy in Wales, um, and I was living living my dream. I, I suppose you know being a a little Welsh lad growing up and representing your country doesn't get any better than that. But uh, sometimes you make sacrifices for you know for your family. What was that change like? Did you settle in quickly to the rugby league? It was very difficult. It was very difficult uh, because it's a totally new game. And the way I look at it, you know, you know, snooker. You know the game snooker and pool. They look the same, don't they, with balls and everything? But oh, yeah, you know, but they're, they're they're totally different. And I think that's 
that's the similar to league and union and i found it i i had to go to a good club i think going to a good club was um was important because i wanted to be successful and the only way I'd, that would help me by playing in a good side that the the flip side of that was i had to prove that i was good enough to be in that side and that was a difficult part because trying to get into that team was was the hardest thing but um you know you have to have a bit of self belief um a good work ethic you know i listened to everything that was going on around me i trained hard um and you know i made sure that my family were happy so that i could focus on my on my rugby um and i was you know witness witness were good for me as well so i settled in i lived in i lived uh, in the northwest i lived near witness and near warrington where i played and i thought that and i thought that's that was important because you know it was important to to immerse myself in the in the culture of the of the club that i was playing in you played rugby league and run rugby union besides the obvious differences which i honestly have no idea what even the obvious differences are all you do is play a ball around right as basically yeah, as simple as that yeah mm-hmm. keep it simple what would you say is the biggest difference between the two sports uh well at the time um was money because we weren't paid as an union player so money was a big difference as a professional um but i just think there's there's less kind of uh, set piece so you don't have a line out you don't have scrums and there's less rucks and malls which slow so you're, you're not um the game isn't clogged up as as much so yeah it suited me better because i got a little ball quicker uh, than i did in rugby union so um you know there's 13 men not 15 men you know 15 men for the union 13 men but the rules are so different you know it's uh, it's it's very very different and it's your instincts that change having grown up in the rugby union game your instincts your instincts got to change because it's more um it's very it's, it's like a line a line defense and a defense are different so it just it just takes a time to adapt to where the players are really but once you adapt it's a rugby league is a simpler game which once you once you grasp it then it, you know it it I really enjoyed it you joined witness when you played when you went to rugby league what are your memories of playing for them and what was your time like at the club oh, i really enjoyed it um you know the people of witness were great they welcomed me uh, because you know there was slight resentment and jealousy because i was given the world record uh, transfer fee but you know if you just show people that you you know you intend to give everything for the club you know they tend to support you i didn't get any injuries and i like i said i played with some great players uh, the coaching staff Dougie Lord and you know looked after me uh, the players were brilliant um you know and I'm, i i fitted in quite quickly um yeah and it was i was i i had a really really great time with witness you know look back and then the rugby we played was superb playing Martin O'Fire Alan Tate you know Tony Myler Kurt Sorensen the Hume brothers the O'Neill brothers it was a good mixture of local boys and kind of outsiders so um yeah they looked after me very 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 well you know i i i hope they happy what i what i gave them um but it was you know I, i think everyone in that era enjoyed watching witness play you played in the rugby league world cup how did that compare to playing in the rugby union world cup and what are your memories of it 
Oh, just memories were, you know, was uh, you know because all the rugby Welsh players, had, the majority had left home to go and live in the northwest. So it was just, uh, you know, the main thing for me there was, you know, making sure that we had a a good bond um, and a, you know, and, and we had a good time. And I think that was important. You know, I don't think anyone expected us to win, but we had a you know, the one game that stands out. Uh, we played against Western Samoa or Samoa in um, in Swansea. And, we, and all the Welsh players came back, and the and the support we had was unbelievable. And people still talk about it to this day that that particular game, uh, which is nice to put, you know, because when you play rugby, just it's all about creating memories for you, yourself and memories for supporters. So people still remember that game. And we lost to England in the semi final, and that was my last ever rugby league game. But you know, I was very fortunate to play for Warrington. I had a great time in Warrington. You know, Widnes and Warrington are two great clubs. Uh, Warrington took me in. Um, because they were they were rivals, they were only, they were only seven miles apart. So when I went from Witness to Warrington, you know, I hopefully I I enjoyed my time in Warrington immensely, and, and they enjoyed me being there. Then playing the World Cup final against you know the, we played New Zealand, Australia, played against England for such a short time. You know, I, I think I crammed a lot in. So rugby league was an amazing experience for me, which really set me up there in in post-rugby career, I think, because I understood both games. Funny you mention Australia. Um, you moved to Australia to play rugby league. Why did you decide to go to Australia and what are your memories of it? Uh, I really enjoyed Australia. It's the only place I've gone with, and I, and I didn't work. I took my family as well. Uh, I went to 91 to Sydney and then 95 to Townsville. Um and again, I wanted to experience Australia. Australia w- was the best competition in the world at the time. And it still is now. And if you watch it now, the NRL is a brilliant, you know, brilliant spectacle. It's a brilliant competition. So uh, I wanted to test having, I tested myself against the best in the world in rugby union. So I needed to do that the same in, in rugby league. And uh, it was very enjoyable, apart from the, the long flight with three young children crying all the way. Um, that's uh, it was it was a very very enjoyable experience and I think my kids enjoyed it. They can't remember much because they were very very young. But I think traveling is uh, it's great education. Would you like to? Where would you like to go? Would you like to go anywhere? Anywhere you'd like to go in the world? Um, for me, probably Egypt. My, mine's Norway. Oh, there we are. There's uh, there's two different uh, locations. Look, but uh, but fingers crossed. You may. You try your best to try and get out there, okay? Because I think travelling is a great education for everyone and everyone should try and do as much as they possibly can. Because I didn't have the opportunity as a child, you know, as a a teenager to go travelling like everybody does these days, you know, after they've left university or after they've done their exams, they all go travelling, backpacking or something. I I never did that. So rugby rugby was the vehicle that helped me see the world. Okay, um, random question I have to ask. Did you see any koalas? <laughs> yes. It's, it's difficult not to see them because, yeah. you know, we, we went to a couple of uh, koala koala farms and we saw them there then. But, yeah, when you're out in Australia, it's, it's, it's crazy. You see all lots of things, nice things, not like, you know, we, we were playing golf and we, the kangaroos would just cross the golf course. And you're like, uh, and excuse like see, me? <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, be careful with them. They're quite dangerous. Then we see the odd snake and crocodile. Oh wow! Um, yeah, so that was. Uh, we tended not to go into the into some of the rivers over there, or you know, the, 
Then we go in the barrier reef, you know, um, do some snorkeling, and scuba diving. There's some sharks and other things in the sea, which is uh, again, it's a great, it's a great experience, huh? Sharks have got very pointy teeth. <laughs> yeah, you don't, you don't, you know, you don't want to meet the very nasty, angry shark. You try and stay away from them. Maybe a cute little small shark. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe. I don't, yeah. When you see them in the water, you know, it's uh, it's quite an experience. So you know, and you've only got swimming trunks on. You don't want to make a mess in the sea. <laughs> mm. Okay, back to the your career thing. You played some great, great. You played with some great players for of your time, and you must have seen some great jokers. What are what is the best prank you've ever seen, and why? Oh, it's it's so many things I've seen. Um, pranks, you know, good ones, bad ones, like. Uh, you know, just uh, they'd 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 fill uh, put everyone's uh, furniture in the bathroom of a hotel room. What? So when you went into your when you went into your room, you had no furniture. That happened to me <laughs> once. Do um, that? Yeah. Then you know, someone would put some uh, hair remover on someone's head and put a cap on him when he slept. So when he moved up, you wouldn't have much hair on his head. Um, yeah, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of different pranks, and it's uh, but it's always. It's always interesting that uh, when you're away on a on a tour, you need a different set of characters. So some are serious, some are pranksters, um, you know. But you need that kind of um, kind of variety to keep everyone on their toes and happy. Because it is very difficult when you get away from home sometimes, and and you miss your family. So you know they're all 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 different characters, which makes uh, makes it very very entertaining sometimes. But yeah, so so many pranks that um, you know. You, some I've said, but some I couldn't tell you to be honest. It's not. It's not. It's not appropriate. Okay, good. this is family friendly, so good call. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. Get fine. Oh, a ton of furniture into a bathroom by yeah, themselves. I, I, yeah, I. I don't know. Well, it was, uh, well I don't. I don't. Yeah, they would definitely have had some accomplices, and they think it's very funny. It's I didn't not. think it. No, I know, I know, it's not funny, but although um, I have to admit, know, the hair removal thing is kind of funny. Yeah, <laughs> that was funny as well. Yeah, that's funny. So a lot of pranks. You went on tour with Great Britain to Papua New Guinea. From our research, we saw that there was quite an interesting tour. What are your memories of that? Oh, interesting. This might be fun. First of all, the people are very, very nice. You know, and they're very interested in, you know, whoever goes at the tour because rugby league is, a, is their national game. So, you know, they, some of the people I went to, they were like superstars for them. So, you know, they would they would walk for days, you know, to come and watch a game. You know, that was the only mode of transport that they had, some of them. So they would walk for days and they would love the game. Um, they would eat this thing called beetle nut, I think it is like some plant which would make their mouths very purple and then it takes some industrial iodine with them would which would make them hallucinate sometimes. So they were a they were a bit spaced out some of them. But um there was um we had one game where the actually army came on and, and fired tear gas into the crowd to calm them down because they got so excited and then the tear gas, the tear gas, kind of came over the field into our eyes and everything. So I've never experienced that anywhere else in the in the world. That must have um, been. But it was, 
fun. It was scary. Yeah. It wasn't fun. It was scary. Yeah. It wasn't. Yeah. It was fun. fun. Yeah. It was scary. It was scary. Um, <coughs> so <coughs> that was. Uh, yeah, it was a very very tough game. We trained um, three o'clock every day in the in, you know in the sun and the heat. Um, but it was a great experience for us to gel together um, because it was a very tough tour. Which helped. we went to New Zealand from there. We won. We won the series in New Zealand, which was um, which was which was great. Whenever I hear New Guinea, I all I think of is guinea pigs. Other than <laughs> yeah. they're not from. I can't. I can't see. No, I, I didn't see many guinea pigs. Uh, to yeah. be honest, but uh, <laughs> they would. You'd see all different kinds of animals on the street everywhere. So um, even things that really shouldn't be on the street. Yeah, everything. Yeah, so it's quite. Um, yeah, it's, it's quite an interesting place, but lovely people. Off the field, they try and kill you on the field. <laughs> okay. In 1995, you returned to rugby union. Why did you decide to return to the union? Um, because the game had gone. I was going to retire, <clears throat> but um, you know, my I, I was, you know, I, I always if I wasn't given a, a work, oh, bless you. If I wasn't given a, an opportunity to work, um, you know, up, up, up in rugby league, maybe I was going to go back and finish my career in uh, in rugby union. So I went, I went back to rugby union. Um, but also, my wife wasn't very well at the time, so I had to go back then and uh, you know get some family support to help her, uh, you know around the family. So it was just an opportunity for me to go back home, play rugby union, uh, and maybe there was better um, work opportunities for me uh, when I went back to Wales and rugby union. Yeah, you finished your rugby career just as the game was turning professional. What changed when the game turned professional? What changed? You know, a lot of things changed in uh, lots of parts of the of the world. You know, different teams were created. Uh, you know, and then there were kind of regions in Wales, or maybe that the Southern Hemisphere handled the game and the the competitions and the structure better um, than the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, but no, it's uh, you know, it's a it's a well run. Well, a lot of the unions are well run. Um, it seems to be that. The, they're still trying to work a, a global season that they, I think that suits everyone. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, it's all about money, isn't it? You know, and money makes the world go around. And I, I'm not sure if the game of rugby union is sustainable at the moment. I think they've had a long time to try and sort it out, but I'm not sure if it's you know it's still kind of uh, the product that it should be. Um, but yeah, you know, you have it, it's a it's a great product when played well. There's some great superstars, you know, playing the game. The World Cup is a great advert for rugby union, so you know it, it's definitely, it's definitely an improvement in uh, in some areas from the time that I played. Whether they get the same enjoyment as uh, as we had when we played, I'm not sure. It doesn't look like it sometimes, but you know, as long as they, you know, really enjoy it, being a being a professional sportsman is a very privileged existence, and they should enjoy every minute of it because you know I think. When it's over, uh, you appreciate how lucky how lucky we were. Do you wish you were able to play, play more rugby in the professional era? Well, it would have been nice to you know to play at at a level and and get uh, you know rewarded for it. You know the money now some players are is great, so it, that would have been a nice part of it. But I still I think I would have liked to. Uh, I I loved the time that I played. 
Um, but yeah, you know, it's nothing compares to playing. So you know, if I if I if I could have kept on playing, I would have. But unfortunately, time catches up with everyone, and you have to retire. As you noticed at the start of the podcast, we try to speak some Welsh. As a Welshman who speaks the language, how important is it to keep the language, the Welsh language going? And is the language popular in the country? I think it's popular in uh, some pockets of the country. Um, I do think it's important that we keep the language um, and hopefully it grows. Um, You know, for me, I've done a television programme for 19 years in Welsh. and you know, I never thought I'd be doing that. Um, but I just hope that, you know, sometimes people get criticised for trying to speak Welsh. And if it's uh, grammatically not correct, they get criticised. And that's all that does then is, uh, you know, that doesn't encourage them to do interviews. And I'm thinking anybody who tries to learn Welsh, as you have, you, you two today, you know, it's not an easy language to learn. You know, it, you know that, that helps to grow the, the language. So... Yeah, we have a, you know, we have an identity um, in this country and uh, the language is, is one of those identities that we have. And I, I hope that, you know, it uh, it grows and gets bigger. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't force it on people's neck. It's up to them if they want to do it. But I would uh, hopefully, you know, it, it just grows and gets bigger and bigger and more people, you know, speak it. Can you say that oh. place in Wales. I can't, I know, I know, I know, I I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I I, I don't know how to do that one. All I always remember just, is the go, just go, say, go, just go. say, just say, just say, Fletty again. Go on. Fletty. <laughs> that'll do. That'll do. So you get it better. No. Yeah. Well, just say Fletty. No. <laughs> <laughs> I refuse. Okay, that's right. That's right. After after a time from rugby, you moved into the media. How did that come about? Um, I had a friend called Ray Stubbs, who's uh, he's still in broadcasting. Ray's a very good friend of mine. He does talk radio now. And he was he was the one uh, questioning sport. He was involved in BBC, and I just asked him, "Was there an opportunity?" And um, Brian Barwick was uh, head of sport. He gave me the opportunity, and I had a three month contract. And uh, you know, I'm still there. Um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it gave me flexibility because my wife uh, passed away. Then she was very, she went ill and passed away, so it gave me flexibility. Um, you know, to, to 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 deal with my my children as well. Um, my mum helped my mum helped me a lot, so um, it was brilliant because to still be involved in the game and to comment it on the game and with the defensive system that came from rugby league and having come from rugby league, you know, I, I kind of and having played the game for such a, a long time, you kind of understand what's happening and see the bigger picture. So for me, you know, it was all about simplifying the game. Uh, allowing the picksters to do the talking, but then explain uh, the commentator would explain what's what's happening, and then my job is to explain why it's happened. So if you simplify it and explain to people, and hopefully they understand, 
Um, they, they would enjoy it, obviously. You can't please everyone, as as we all know. So, um, But if you just try your best, um, you know, get some credibility, keep your credibility. But I was, yeah, I'm very thankful because uh, I'd be given the opportunity to work in the in the media. I, I really, really enjoyed it. You know, I worked, I worked hard at it. You know, did a lot of radio, did a lot of interviews. Um, but uh, yeah, I've, I, I've been very, very lucky to enjoy a long, long career. Did you ever consider becoming a coach? I'd love to give him something back, but. Unfortunately, when you're commentating or co-commentating, it's you know it's on the it's on the Saturday. So if you you know you're not you can't watch your team play. Then I suppose if you are coaching, but I was offered a couple of roles uh, with uh, Newcastle as a player coach uh, with Worcester. Uh, I was offered to go back involved in, in, with Bath at one stage, um, but. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe if I could, you know, there's not there's an opportunity left in me if I could do some mentoring or consultancy work. Who knows? But um, it just it didn't happen because I, I didn't have, you know, the opportunity wasn't there. What is your what has been your biggest challenge working in the media? I mean, other than some of your co-workers are a bit out there. Yeah, they're all good. They're all, you know, everyone's different, aren't they? That's what makes the world go around. People's characters are different. You know, so, um, and that's what people want to watch, interesting characters, different characters. You know, sometimes we don't get on with people. It it, it makes good television. Um, um, it's very, I think, making, making uh, you know, a good game watchable is, is one thing. When the game isn't good, you've got to try and make sure that the programme is good. Something um, is a, is a, bit of a bind sometimes, you know, because everybody just goes to the game and the traffic is hard work. But, you know, it's part and parcel of the game and part and parcel of, of your job. And um, I'd be very lucky that it's an enjoyable job. But um, it's, no, I can't, I can't, I can't complain, you know, can't complain too much. Um, I've worked with great people um, in the broadcasting world. Um, and, you know, it, it's been lucky to, you know, we talk about, two games that I, you know, that I love. A friend of the podcast, Leon Lloyd, who we spoke to a few weeks ago. Let me tell got... you now, he's, he's going to, he's got a gripe with me because I didn't pick him out of the match, is it? <laughs> no, exactly. Has gotten in touch okay. with us and told us to ask you about your regular ice baths at 6am. Ice baths! <laughs> I know. I went on a course with Leon, um, which is a keynote speaking course, which I've always planned my kind of next venture, I suppose. So that's what I did uh, with, um, it's called Best with Leon. I, I, I went on this course to, be, you know, to try and become a, a keynote speaker, which is my next, um, my next kind of venture. And uh, we had some breathing exercises at 6 at six a.m. Um, have you heard of Wim Hof? No, no, no. No, no, he's, he's this uh, um, gentleman who just, he believes in breathing exercise and mind over matter. And so he did a bit of breathing exercise and then he wanted us to sit in the ice bath for two minutes. Uh... Which uh, everything, everything, everything shrinks up in those, in the two minutes in the bath. Let me tell you, it was freezing. Freezing again, mind over matter. Um, so, uh, I still do a little bit in the morning. I put a cold shower on, but um, 
Leon, Leon, uh, Leon asked me if I'm still doing it, but I no, I haven't, I haven't bought the nice bath yet, and I, I don't intend doing it. I live near the sea, so if I want, I could just walk into the sea. I've got the biggest ice bath <laughs> in the world. You just mentioned about not giving Leon Lloyd man of the match trophy. What was that in the final where he scored two tries, but Austin Healy was given the man of the match? Exactly. So this is now. This is this is um, my understanding. When you get to pick man of the match, it's uh, about key moments in the match that have turned the match into you know uh, been instrumental moments in the match. And for me, I think that Leon played exceptionally well. He scored two beautiful tries, but it was the moment, the one moment that was needed. And Austin Healy made the break, and then he he made the try for Leon Lloyd. For, for that one moment in the match to win that match, I give man of the match to Austin Healy. So when you see Leon, ask him, would you have rather have me give him man of the match and Austin not make that one moment so they wouldn't have won the match or giving it to Austin for winning the match? You ask him that next time, okay? All right, well, Scammy reacts. I just hope he doesn't try and kill us. Yeah, there we are. I know he will. I doubt he will, though. He'd have, he'd have a hell of a time seeing how we're not even on the same part of the country. Yeah, that's right. He's a lovely man anyway. I want to ask you about the current situation with rugby. Do you think the game of rugby needs to change to make the game better? At the moment, the game is quite slow in the breakdown, scrums, etc. How... How would you change it to improve the game? Yeah, I think definitely. You're right there, Thomas. You know, it's um, sport is entertainment. And as you said, if it gets slow, you know, and, and yeah, it's caught up in, you know, resetting and slow ball and box kicking, I don't think it's very entertaining. So, that's why I take my hands off the rugby league. They make changes and they make changes very, very quickly to make it a better game. So I think that rugby union need to adapt and change a little bit quicker. Uh, they need to look at, you know, um, areas that like resetting scrums and scrums, but it's a health and safety issue. Uh, the tackle area is very, very difficult to control. Um, so Maybe by simplifying it in in certain aspects, there's a couple of rules I would change. Maybe you come back and try and bring rucking back into it. Um, but um, you know, they, that's all they need to do is try and be brave and make changes. You know, to improve the game. That's what they need to do. And they've got you know good people to to look at the game, so they should shouldn't be scared in making those changes. Be brave. Wales rugby is going through a difficult period at the moment especially with the four regions. During the Six Nations, there was talk of players striking overpay. What is your opinion on the current situation with regional rugby in Wales? Um, yeah, it's desperate at the moment. You know, we're not winning anything. I think that uh, because Wales have done so well over the last uh, decade or so that it's covered a lot of cracks. And um, I think the Welsh Rugby Union neglected the game in general and neglected the region. So... You know, we're not a very kind of affluent country, I suppose. The regions, you know, aren't, aren't the rugby isn't rich. We aren't rich over here in rugby sense. But, you know, that needs, you know, we need to work together. Uh, there needs to be a plan, um, you know, a development plan, a coaching plan, 
a financial plan. And, you know, if we get that in, in place, then everyone knows what they're doing. But rather than everyone arguing with each other and falling out, the Wales and the four regions, I think they need to harmonise it um, and, and look at it collectively. Um, and I think that, that's the way forward. There's a lot of talent, you know, young talent in Wales, but unfortunately, I think we're failing them because of the lack of resources that's been put into, you know, the younger age groups and to the regions. And that eventually will... Uh, will catch up with the national side. Mm-hmm. The national team are also struggling a bit with the poor Six six Nations. How can we improve the Welsh team heading into the World Cup and moving forward after that? Again, you have to look at the regions. You have to develop young players to come through. Make sure the regions are strong. Make sure the age groups are strong. Um, and then, because that's, you know, that's, um, you know, they're kind of, Lifeline, I suppose. You know, if you don't get get young kids playing, then they move up with good coaching. You know, that's that, that's the future. So we have to de- definitely look at that and have a pipeline and a strategy and a plan, like I said. Um, but yes, you know, a lot of sides. You know, there's peaks and troughs. Um, you 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 enjoy the good times, but there's you know you've got to try and you know work through the the bad times. And I think next few years will, will be tough times for Wales. Um, but you know, if Wales with Warren Gatland, they've got to focus on two games now. Um, Fiji, Georgia, they can win those two games. They'll get through to the quarterfinals, so they might play England then. So, you know, their time spent together is is very important, you know, pre-World Cup. Sounds to me that the people in charge of rugby in Wales need a, need a nagging at. They need something. <laughs> there's, a lot, there's, a lot, there's a lot going on at the moment. I think it's... Uh, it's a very difficult time for them. So hopefully, you know, they'll, um, they'll put their thinking hats on and, um, you know, we'll overcome it. Before we finish, we would like to play a game with you that we play with all our guests. The game is oh, called looks... Song Answers Only. We will ask you a range of questions and you have to give us the wrong answer only. Are you ready? I think I am. I'm not sure. But I think I am. Alicia looks very, very excited at this moment, so I'm not sure if I'm, I'm ready for it. Go on, then. All right. Favourite ground you've played at? Uh, Oddstill Stadium. Okay. Best player you ever played with? Rupert Moon. Okay. Highlight of your career? Uh, tearing my cruciate ligaments. <laughs> Favourite rugby pundit? Uh, Austin Healy. <laughs> the best thing about Jonathan Davis is. I'm sorry, I'm about to ask you to basically um, my uh, my good looks and my humour. <laughs> <laughs> Every week on the podcast, we like our guests to ask questions to each other. So we get a guest to ask a question, but they have no idea who the question is going to be for. This week's question comes from our previous guest, who is former Premier League footballer Matt Taylor, and he asks, "If you could have one meal and one drink for the rest of your life, what would it be and why?" Oh, that's a tough one. Oh, one meal and one drink. Obviously, you'd have to have water, wouldn't you? Because I can. I, can I have water as well? That's allowed. Yeah. Okay. Oh, it's a tough one. I like. I like my red wine and I like my Guinness. Oh. Are those alcohol? <laughs> uh, and I, and I, oh yeah, I'm finished. And I like uh, 
a nice can, a can of Coke. Okay. So any one of those really, if it's non non alcoholic, I'll go with Coke. Um, then okay, and a meal was I think you ha- you can't be a good Sunday lunch. Um, I would just like to say a big thank you again to. Mate, I'm sorry. He needs to ask a question for the guests now. <laughs> sorry, I, I okay. I'll ask you a question. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what's the best advice you've been given in your career? That is a good question. We like that. I would just like to say a big thank you again to everyone who listens to our podcast. We really appreciate it. Please continue to leave reviews and pass our podcast on to your friends and family. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today, Jonathan. We really enjoyed speaking with you, and it means so much to us as a school to be able to have the opportunity to speak with you. Thank you. There we are. What I've I've really enjoyed the the conversation. So if I can ask you a question now, then what what are your what are your ambitions? What what would you like to do? Uh, you go first, Alicia. What would you like to do? Um, well, I want to be an Egyptologist. Basically, that oh, I should probably explain. Egyptologist is basically an archaeologist that specialises in ancient Egypt. I thought so. That's brilliant. Hey, great, great ambition. So you can fulfil your dreams of going to Egypt and then working there as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, well, good luck with that. Good luck with that. What about you, Thomas? Um, mine, to be honest, is is a mixture of like two things, but the main one is youtube like i want to be a successful youtuber but on the, the sideline uh i've been interested in business recently so like there was like you know like quite a few entrepreneurs that i look up to so I don't know what that word means. it's basically like you know like business and all that and like you know yeah. and i want it to correlate with online business because I've, I've been interested in stocks and stuff like that so well just uh, just you make sure you chase your dreams right and try and achieve those that's important okay and and the last question, what do you think of Adam, your teacher? Uh, no comment. <laughs> I, I, I think he's got a good sense of humour and he, he definitely knows his knowledge on sport. There we are. Good. I, I tell you, one thing that I one thing my dad told me when I was when I was growing up was he said, Oh hang on, this thing's falling out again. So my years my years are too big. Look at them. The BFG is I think. So um, my dad always said, it's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. True. He's fun to tease. <laughs> there we are. Good. Well, you make sure you keep on teasing him. And thank you very much for giving me the interview. The TWS Sports Podcast combines autism and sport. This unique podcast is hosted by children with autism, and each week they interview famous sportsmen and women from around the world. The TWS Sports Podcast takes you deep into the sports star's career, their highs and lows, what happens away from the field of play, and so much more. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. The TWS Sports Podcast, where autism and sports combine.